I've always been absolutely obsessed with feeding people. I've like I've been waiting for myself to start hating it. And even when I was younger, I couldn't really understand why I loved cooking food so, so much. Like my first job was a dishy when I was um, 14 in a Chinese restaurant. Um, and from there, I just never left the industry. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Life changes fast. One minute you're knee deep in the day-to-day of your own vision, winning awards and seeing the realization of your dream. The next moment you're deep in the weeds and everything you've built is in doubt. The pandemic changed everything about how we live our lives and put our dreams and aspirations in question. But as we open up again, where do those dreams lie now? Sarah Scott, is the owner of Joy Restaurant in Brisbane. Sarah, how are you going? Good, good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. You've created a, a special little restaurant in Brisbane about a year and a half ago, a little 10-seater. Um, what's the first year of, of trade been like as, a, as an owner? Um, overwhelmingly good. <laughs> um, surprisingly good. Um, I think we got really, really lucky in our first year. We got um, a lot of support from the industry um, and, f- and from media, which really helps, um, and from our customers. They're very, very loyal. Um, huge learning curve. <laughs> Neither of us, like Tim or I, knew how to run a restaurant. Neither of us had been head chefs before in any other restaurant, so... Um, to just give it a whirl on our first restaurant was probably a huge risk, but it paid off. Before we have a look at sort of what's happened in the last year and a half, I think it'd be good to talk about what Joy is because it was such a different proposition for a restaurant to so many others in Australia. A little 10-seater, only two people working there doing absolutely everything. Can you can you tell us about the, the vision of Joy? Um, it got – well, I mean, it was sort of birthed from um, – I guess exhaustion in the industry and the way hospitality um, can be quite toxic. Um, Neither of us wanted to quit cooking or quit the industry, but um, it wasn't working for us the way that we were in it. Um, So we figured before we quit something that we know that we loved, we would try and build a version of it that we could work in the way that we thought hospitality should be done um and we wanted to be able to control as many parts of the restaurant as we could um so it just made sense to make it small enough it was never um a money-making idea it was never supposed to make us rich it was just supposed to be an outlet for our creativity um and for our love of cooking um so we literally just created a space that um is evenly split between customers and us so that we could enjoy it as much as we could hopefully make them enjoy it. Um, And, yeah, it's just based on food and wine and storytelling and that's, yeah, that's what we still do. Can you take us through what it was like running an establishment like that because basically you'd welcome guests in, you would serve them drinks, you would also be cooking their dinner and and, um, interacting with them all night. Um, what, what, was it, what did it take to, to run Joy? Um, a lot of time and a lot of hard work, but um, 
mostly just like sticking to our vision and making sure um, it was always about passion and food um, and not getting caught up in like running the business side of it because we have to because that's what it takes to run a business but trying not to make um, decisions based on financial gain or like strictly business decisions everything was about like everything was customer driven and service driven um, and had to be driven by things that we enjoy because we knew that if, if we couldn't enjoy it um, then there's no way that we could force our customers to enjoy it um, and to make sure there was no ego like to, to not force our customers to absorb any of our ego in the industry or any of the industry's ego. Um, so yeah, it just took, um, took a lot of risk and a lot of reflection. Like every week we sat down to make sure we were still on track, um, and still sticking to the same vision that we created, but also making sure we were holding each other accountable for anything. Cause we didn't essentially have a boss or a head chef, um, to point out standards and, and sticking to a standard. Um, we had to make sure we were holding each other accountable um, and ourselves accountable, which was, it's pretty hard <laughs> to reflect on yourself in that way every single week <laughs> and point out what you're doing wrong. <laughs> you mentioned that neither of you had been head chefs before, let alone restaurateurs. What was it like in those early days when industry was taking note, the food media was wrapped in with what you were doing? Um, how did it feel like? Can you take us back to that time? It, uh, it was really overwhelming um, the whole time it happened. It was also, it was quite uncomfortable, um, but it, like it was exciting because we've, we've worked in restaurants where uh, we've been able to celebrate those sort of things with our team and we know how good that feels to sort of have your hard work recognised and to have somebody that's a professional um, even notice it. It feels really nice in the industry. Um, but for us, it was really important to not get caught up in it um and to not ever be driven um by that sort of success and to um while while it is really really nice it, it shouldn't and never will be what we're doing this for um if that sort of praise comes along with it or if that attention comes along with it that's I mean a bonus for the business because it, it helps the business it keeps us relevant and it, it makes customers keep discovering us um but personally and for for the customers while they're sitting down um it was really important for us to not get caught up in that um but it was like it was a huge honor to even be mentioned among like people that we've worked for and idolized for our entire career um to be yeah sort of even on, a, on the same page as them in any sense of that term was um, very, very humbling and very overwhelming. <laughs> it's a really interesting restaurant model, Joy, because you have 10 guests all served each dish at the same time and there's that interaction between kitchen and, and guests. Um, tell us a bit about your food because it's a, a multi-course um, meal and to, with two sittings. What, tell us about your food and how you create dishes for that experience. Um, so the, the food is like we don't have um, an exhaust fan in here or gas cooking or anything like that. Um, and a lot of that was intentional. A lot of it was um, adapting to the space that we found that we loved at the time and it, it, that none of that was installed and we weren't in a position to I mean, afford to get any of that. Um, 
but when we were building part of service for us every night was to just really focus on enjoying it and to not have the like the loud exhaust and the heat and the that really like rushed harsh style of service we wanted it to be like very zen and very calm um which suits Japanese style of food a lot of it can be raw or pickled um there's um yeah I mean like it it was a learning curve to learn how to cook (laughs) without having what you need all the time um but yeah the the multi-course like the the 10 or 12 courses or whatever we're feeling um is I mean the way I create it is is food that I enjoy eating or food that um food that I enjoy eating that I can present in a way that people maybe haven't tried before or aren't able to cook at home. Um, I think at home you can, like you could sit down and prepare yourself a three-course meal if you put your mind to it. Um, People aren't really going to sit down at home and produce a 12-course meal with a palate cleanser and a like a slice of fruit halfway through or some snacks at the beginning um, with new cutlery every time. Like I think, yeah, it was really important to create a menu that couldn't be replicated at home um or not easily at least through COVID I think (laughs) there was some people that were doing that um yeah so that's it's yeah the food is just about being tasty about expressing um we work with um some really cool farms in the Brisbane area um and making sure that their produce is getting um out there and their story is getting told to customers so that's often the drive for the menu is is what I've got that I can use. Joy Joy was pretty forward thinking for Brisbane that has been evolving quite rapidly in the last five years from a culinary sense. And you're really part of you're really part of that new wave um, of dining that's happening there. Were there challenges involved in sort of communicating your idea and the acceptance of it? Um, in that first year? Yeah. So yeah, there was. Um, there was a lot of moments of um, maybe, maybe it's not the right time for this. Um, but also a lot of moments of perseverance because we know that if somebody doesn't sort of stick to their guns and push through that adjustment period for customers, then it will never change and the scene will never adapt. Um, and I guess we were in a position where we were just feeling brave enough to try and be, I guess, some sort of pioneer of that style of dining like the, the main struggle for us was um only having two reservation times available um not letting customers choose what they eat um and making sure people are on time so that we can run the restaurant the way that we really like the way that we designed it to be run um which is tricky it took a lot of um figuring out the balance between i guess being bossy to our customers but also just trying to communicate as much as we could to make sure they understood that this was so that their experience was the best it could be um and it it took a little while but um the more people that came in and turned up on time and just ate the menu happily without choosing and and got used to having such a small wine list um the more people that spoke about that being part of what makes joy, um, I think the more people started to accept it. Um, and I think funnily enough, through COVID, especially when like restaurants could only seat 10 people at a time and you just had to make reservations, um, especially with the lower capacity still, you, like you have to make a reservation or at least check how busy somewhere is at the moment. 
um, often in Brisbane, you were just able to eat wherever you wanted, whenever you wanted. Um, so COVID, in, I mean, in that sense, kind of has assisted. Um, but yeah, no, our, our customers adapted quickly. Um, there was some moments of, of contention at times with turning up on time or eating what we've <laughs> put in front of you. But we knew that it was like to have maybe like a 5% failure rate, but a 95% success rate for us, it was, that was worth it. And we knew that there was always going to be some people that didn't love it. And we were just happy to accept that those people were able to just go and eat at other restaurants if we were making them too uncomfortable. <laughs> Well, you, you were pretty brave and created a restaurant concept the city hadn't really seen and then the pandemic landed. Can you tell us what sort of impact that had on Joy? Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was sort of the first time I think ever that a small restaurant was a complete stitch up <laughs> because um, so, like trying to fit 1.5 metres between guests in a 36 square metre space is, on a bench that we can't pull apart and reconfigure was it, just impossible. Um, we closed actually on our first birthday, which was also just like a little wow. bit sad. Yeah. So it was like March 22. Um, and we closed, um, a week earlier, I think it was than the government forced closure. Um, mostly because we felt very uncomfortable, um, forcing people to come out of their homes when they didn't have to, um, and I think we're in a position where we have to set a good example in the industry if people are watching and it felt, um, yeah, it didn't feel right sort of for that monetary gain of feeding people for another week. It didn't, yeah, it didn't really sit right. So we closed a week early um, and the benefit of that was also being able to control the stock that we had and not reorder for the other week and not have to um, go through that. But, um, yeah, we completely closed um, – to dining for six months. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we didn't, we didn't do anything. Um, the space, I mean, it wasn't really designed to work in any other way, which at the time we couldn't foresee that ever being an issue. Um, when we first closed, we were feeding, um, hospitality people that had lost their jobs for, um, a couple of months. We did that. Um, and then, yeah, then, I mean, the dynamic between Tim and I shifted. So we pretty much spent the last four months of the lockdown figuring out how to reopen under the new way that Joy would operate. Um, we considered takeaway briefly. Um, we knew it was going to be a financial input that we, like, we would have to put some money into switching to takeaway. And as, as we were about to do that, um, like there was an announcement that restrictions got eased slightly and we just thought if we're going to put money into that um, and then we can suddenly reopen as a dine-in restaurant, it's, um, yeah, it didn't seem safe to invest that money at that time. So we were in a position where we could wait it out, which, again, is, is a lot luckier than some. There's been some pretty um, massive changes. It's uh, you, and, you and Tim ran Joy together for for the first year and, and that's no longer the case. What, what, what's the situation now with Joy? How, do, how does it operate? Um, so I've got Maddie here now. So she's um, a good friend and a bartender um, from Savile Row, um, just across the road. Um, and, yeah, when she knew that I was 
figuring out how to go forward with joy. I did have moments of, do I need to hire a chef and do I need to do front of house or do I need to be the chef um, and hire a front of house? It was, that was a really confusing time for me to figure out which side I needed to focus on. Um, and yeah, Maddie approached me and, and said if I would have her, that she would love to. Um, and that was great. That was the biggest moment of relief I'd had in the last six months. Um, and like Tim's still around. He, uh, we're on such, such good terms. Every time I'm struggling with a menu item or, um, need advice on anything, he's the first person I call. Um, Saturday night, the music, just as we unlocked the door for customers, our, um, sound system broke. Um, and the customers walked into complete silence. It was very uncomfortable because the music is a very important part of Joy. Um, and so without even thinking, I just called Tim straight away and just said, emergency, the music at Joy's broken, come and fix it. And he turned <laughs> up within probably like six minutes with a wow. Yui boom, wow. um, unlocked my phone, connected, yeah, connected it all and then just disappeared out the door again. Um, and when the sink broke, when we first reopened, he was <laughs> under the sink fixing that. Um, so yeah, he he's still around. Um, he still loves Joy. Um, he yeah, it's just it's it's not for him to be working in at the moment. Um, but yeah, I know that if I need him here, he would absolutely be here. How different is it uh, from your perspective? You worked on dishes together previously, and now you're the the solo chef. Is the food a lot different? And and is there different challenges now that you're in in control of everything? Yeah. I mean, one of the hugest changes for me was that Tim during service did the main part of the cooking and I focused on front of house. Um, so to adjust to service without having that same connection with the customers felt a little empty at first. I felt like I wasn't doing my job properly because I wasn't having that interaction with customers. Um, and I mean, I adjusted to that and it was a few conversations with Maddie about how we can make sure that I still feel involved in service because it, it doesn't feel great to sort of cook food all day and then get to service and not feel connected to the people eating it. Um, and that just took a little bit of time with me and Maddie figuring out how to, um, I guess, incorporate me into customer conversations while I've still got my back to customers cooking the whole time. Um, whereas before, Tim and I could swap roles whenever we wanted, if we needed to. So if he really wanted to just step away from cooking for a moment, I could jump on and just pick it up where he dropped it. Um, where when it's a sort of split between front of house and chef, um, I'm not going to jump in and, and do drinks while Maddie's doing it and Maddie can't jump in and do the food. Um, but like in terms of menu creation, I think um, Tim's style of cooking had a lot more Japanese, like very sort of traditional, I guess, Japanese influence. Um, and his strength is creating dishes and that's always how the setup was. He would, um, come up with just a, an idea for a dish and put it forward to me. And then my strength was turning that idea into food and figuring out what components needed to be, what part of the dish and how to turn his idea into a food that can be on a plate. Um, so to, yeah, to have to, force myself to be creative at first was a real struggle, especially after like <laughs> the whole mental strain of the six months. Um, it took probably six weeks of me like pen and paper trying to write down ideas. Um, 
and I would get to moments where I would still call him and, and be like, this is where I'm at with temptation. I'm stuck because it needs another layer, but I don't know what it is. Um, but I also learned to start reaching out to other chefs that are around and, and friends that are in the industry. Um, and I mean, people were in a position where they weren't working as much, so they could have those conversations with me. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a huge shift. Um, and it was also because I trusted Tim so, so much. So I know that um, anything he thought was an idea that we would just roll with that because I, I knew that he knew what was best for Joy. So it was a lot of moments of doubt when I was making the decisions myself if I was creating the dish the right way. Um, yeah, making sure it was still tasty. <laughs> Can you take us through a dish that you have on the menu at the moment that that you really love and sort of exemplifies your cooking right at this moment? Um, yeah, for me, um, I've got a like a – I call it a dolmati, <laughs> which is absolutely not Japanese. Um, but I like a lot of my training was in Italian cooking and European cooking. Um, and I can't help but lean towards that. And when I cook for myself, I'm always cooking Italian food. Um, so I guess it's some sort of, I mean, it's a good reflection of the way Joy operates and the way that I like to eat. Um, so it's, it's a cabbage leaf instead of a, a, a vine leaf or on a traditional dalmati it's still got rice in it but it's a japanese sushi rice um seasoned with the um vinegar and sugar and salt and everything um it's got um smoked pork in there and squid like raw squid diced up really small um sancho pepper and the jello seeds which I, like i guess is that um japanese influence again um and then just loaded with fresh herbs chervil dill chives um soy sauce um, a little bit of oyster sauce and all that sort of stuff. And then just like a sour cream, um, yakiniku style sauce in the base, um, raw slice of heirloom tomato that neighborhood farm are growing for us. Um, and then chervil on top with some fennel pollen vinegar that we've made. Um, and it sort of fuses that like, cause it is, um, it is like a plate up dish. It's one of our, like the, the way we do food it's not cooked to order it's sort of prepped during the day steamed heated up blowtorch to get some char on it and then layered on with other fresh ingredients that we haven't really altered too much um, but it does have like a pretty distinct european influence but also a pretty distinct japanese influence as well you mentioned briefly some of the local producers that you work with how important are they with what you're doing at the moment at joy so important. Um, so Michael owns Taihao Grocer um, in Anala. Um, we, when we first opened Joy, we were working with a few sort of just generic veg companies that we just had known from our careers. Um, and when we opened a restaurant, we just defaulted into what we knew. Um, and at that time, we didn't really know how to reach out and connect with anyone that was much smaller. Um, but over time, we, we created a connection with Michael um, and he um, has a, an Asian grocer out in Anala um, and he spends a lot of time personally connecting with farmers in the area. Um, so we use him solely. I don't, I don't use anyone else at the moment, um, just him. He supplies anything that's fresh here. Um, and he works with something called Neighbourhood Farm, which is a teeny tiny farm out at Oxley. Um, and... Yeah, pretty much whatever they're growing, we try and use. So the menu sort of is geared to support that. Um, and 
every every time there is like a slight change in season, Michael will just throw something into the veg order that he thinks because he he's been here a few times. Like we're, we're very close; he knows exactly what we do. Um, so he knows what we want and what we might need and what we'll find interesting. Um, so he'll just add things into the order. Um, at the end of the veg order, when I place it, I always write sort of like anything interesting that's around, just chuck it in and we'll figure out how to use it. Um, and that helps with the change of season as well. Um, so that if, if something's coming into season, he'll add a little bit in so that we can play with it. Um, so that we're ready for when it's available, um, for us to use. Uh, yeah, it, it completely, completely changed the way that Joy operated um, from a chef's perspective. It's, yeah, my without a lie, my favourite part of the week is just unpacking Michael's veg order and just having a look through and figuring out what <laughs> what he's given me. So often there'll be something in there that I have to send a photo to him and be like, what what is this? <laughs> Before I try and do something with it or eat it, what is it? Um, yeah. Where did your interest in food all start? Um, I, I mean, I don't know exactly. I've always been absolutely obsessed with feeding people. Um, I've, like, I've been waiting for myself to start hating it. And even when I was younger, I couldn't really understand why I loved cooking food so, so much. Um, I, yeah, I, I worked in, like my first job was a dishy when I was um, 14 in a Chinese restaurant. Um and from there, I just never left the industry. Um, and I, I worked front of house um, up until I was 20. I was running um, cafes around Brisbane doing barista work. And um, there was one cafe where I started like sort of doing sandwiches and salads and stuff and just loved it. Um, I've always cooked for myself. I've always cooked for my family, for my friends. Um, and then, yeah, that cafe um, got sold and I was unemployed and somebody um, down at Tartufo in, in Brisbane just said, oh, we're looking for a first-year apprentice. If, you're, if you want a job, we could train you as a chef. Um, and I was 20 and <laughs> I became a first-year apprentice. Um, and, yeah, I just I can't hate it. I, there's nothing in me that hates cooking, even if it's for my job or for home. Like so many customers ask, oh, you must, you know, just get home and make toast or eggs. It's like, no way. I get home and I make steak and kale and tomatoes and marinated capsicums. <laughs> like, I just love it. I, yeah, I can't get enough of it. Before opening your own restaurant uh, with Joy, you worked in some pretty incredible restaurants. What was some of the biggest influences on your career as a chef? Uh, well, I mean, naturally, Tim was has been one of the most influential chefs for me, um, like learning to create dishes, like my ability to do that is completely came from him. Um, and, and yeah, like a, a lot of the way that, um, a lot of the way I operate in kitchens was learned from him. Um, he was a chef for a few years when I became an apprentice and we were best, best friends back then. Um, so he sort of guided me through those first few years as well. Um, later in my career, working at Sixpenny um, with Dan Puskas was just one of the most, it, it was such a holistic experience. Um, it was the first place I ever worked where um, chefs go into the dining room and deliver food, um, which for me was really exciting because I had that front of house experience, um, but I hadn't been able to touch on that or use it at all for so many years because I became a chef and I worked in kitchens. Um, so that sort of reignited that style of service that I missed. Um, but 
I think not only like skill-wise working with with Dan Puskas and Aaron at, at Sixpenny, so much of it was about attitude in the industry. Um, and Dan just spent so much time not only creating an environment that we could all thrive in, but one where we could work to the best ability of ourselves and he didn't put a like a blanket standard on all of us. He knew what we, we could all sort of do and he worked with each of us to make sure we were doing the best. Um, but also to remain humble, like his, his most important thing was um, just not, not getting full of yourself. Like I think young chefs, um, you know, as soon as they start doing well or get wrapped up in the industry, uh, it's pretty easy to get carried away. Um, and there is this like rock star chef lifestyle that I feel like has kind of emerged over the last five years where it's, you know, some people are cooking to, to become famous and some people are cooking because they love food. Um, and yeah, the way he just worked so hard, um, and reminded us all pretty much every day, um, in the most loving way possible. Like, yes, you're all doing great, but there's still so much you can all learn. So don't like, don't close up, don't stop learning. Um, and yeah, he would constantly push us and, and tell us what we could improve on. Um, and I think watching him run an entire restaurant while being a chef, um, for me was really inspiring. Um, and yeah, to see him, um, be so tired but also just like push on and and do what he could for the best of his staff for his restaurant and for his customers um and to be so customer driven as a chef as well I found really special um yeah six penny was um I'd say still probably my all-time favorite place that I've ever worked (laughs) it was very very special We've spoken to a few Brisbane operators recently and they've sort of uh, remarked upon the fact that Queensland is almost sort of business back to back to usual. What, what's it feel like for you at the moment? And and the borders have just opened as well. What's the anticipation of the coming couple of months for you? Well, we I just released March reservations and I did release them under wow. no restrictions. Um and that was so each month when I release reservations, because they're next year's reservations, I have been thinking, do I release them with the restrictions that we're currently operating under or do I try and release them as normal and then risk having to go backwards and cancel customers and move people around? Um, so up until the March reservations, I have been releasing them still under COVID restrictions. So, um, yeah, I, this was the first month that I felt comfortable enough to release the reservations under no restrictions, so we'll be seating 10 people again. Um, we'll still be operating under the three days just because, um, I mean, it works and we're enjoying that. We're, you know, it takes five days for, of work for us to operate for three days, um, and that's, that's a nice balance for us at the moment. Um, it, during service, when, when I'm doing service, I, you, you, I barely think about the pandemic. It, it's, I remember when it first started happening, if you sort of tuned into any conversations that were happening in the restaurant, you just heard people talking about COVID or coronavirus or um, this state and that state. And it was really grim. Like the whole vibe was just grim and people seemed scared and worried. Um, Now the conversation has shifted and I I barely notice it. Um, Like once we have people sitting down and we get them to sign in, we remove that bloody QR code and (laughs) put it away so that people aren't reminded that it's there. Like once you're signed in, pretend it doesn't exist. Um, Like we've still got the hand sanitizer there, which 
I mean, <laughs> we might just continue forever because it's okay to have clean hands. Um, and yeah, but like once you're inside the doors of joy, it, it feels like everything is nearly back to normal. Um, it feels very normal for me to have Maddie here working with Maddie and the, the setup that we have now. Um, it doesn't, yeah, it, it feels for me normal. I know it, it that's, um, you know, it's not the way that everyone else is operating. I know bigger venues that are at reduced cap capacity are still struggling a little bit. Um, but, you know, we're operating at 80%, which is, I'm, I'm unbelievably grateful that we can be operating with eight customers in here and still be running a business and paying staff and, yeah, it's... It feels, yeah, nearly normal. <laughs> You've had a hell of a first year and a half as a young restaurateur. What's your hope uh, for the moving forward with Joy in the next couple of years? Um, I always am just wanting Joy to improve. Um, not necessarily change unless the change is, is part of the improvement. Um, I never want Joy ever to stop being about storytelling and food and wine and um, all of the stories that are involved in the producers of all of that, um, that will never, ever change. Um, I never want to do more than 10 people at a time. Um, I always want to feed everybody at the same time. Um, but I want like Maddie and I to grow, um, in our careers. Um, now that I have a staff member here, I, I feel like, um, the same way that I felt like I'd improved as a person and a chef when I left six penny, um, I feel my responsibility now as an employer to make sure that anybody that works at Joy leaves Joy um, feeling like they've grown in skill set professionally but also personally. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't want Joy to get bigger. I don't, I don't want an empire of restaurants or to become somebody that's running businesses. I, I want to cook food. Um, I want to keep improving Joy small improvements like sometimes we can afford to get new curtains or new coasters like I want to keep chipping away at little things like that so that eventually every single thing I look at enjoy I know the story behind um, and I can remove any piece of generic anything that's in here um, to make sure it's got a story and it's made by someone that we love and know um, which is happening <laughs> slowly um, creativity takes time but yeah that's that's my goal for joys to just keep it keep it going and keep it feeding people and making sure that the food's still tasty and the service is still completely customer driven um and to make sure that maddie and i are still having fun all the time uh, or maybe at least 90 percent of the time <laughs> um yeah that's that's my vision for joy well i dined in joy at uh, about a year and a half ago, I guess it wasn't long after you'd opened. It was nearly the first week, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back in the day when I uh, used to wear a bib for a living and uh, review restaurants, um, but it was it was one of the best meals I'd had for years. And um, hats off to you guys with what you're doing, and I really hope it continues in in the vein that you created it because it was a really special uh, occasion for me and. Um, and look, we're honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds and I'm so glad to hear that uh, Joy is pushing on and um, expanding the culinary universe of Brisbane. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. 
Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.